All right, very good. As you read that, it just sounds like that song about the Grinch, right? The, he mentions all these different things. Uh, well, there's a Grinch in all of us, okay? We need the Lord to expose that, to expose these issues of the heart, of the heart. In verses 28 through 31, 29 through 31, we find that night has settled, that night has settled and the daylight needs to come. I find it's interesting that the, the moon does this. Uh, if you ever hike at night, it's interesting the difference between walking around at night when the, in the woods when there is, there's no uh, cloud cover and there's a full moon, or when there's cloud cover or when there's no full moon. There's a definite difference uh, because the, the moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon has no light in and of itself. It's no help at all, but then the sun shines and brings some of that light to us here so far away. Uh, I, I found it interesting and fascinating as I was looking at this. That we do the same thing for the moon. Uh, so if any, one day you want to live on the moon, uh, you'll say, hey, there's a full earth out there. We'll be able to hike tonight. Uh, it'll be really, really interesting. Uh, I'm not planning to do that anytime soon, but... Uh, this is the same thing in our own lives. We have no sunlight of ourselves. We, we mirror the light of the Son of God to those around us. Uh, we, we have no derived light in and of ourselves, but as we expose ourselves to the glory of God, like Moses did on the mountain, he came down from the mountain and they saw the glory of God on him. And as you read 2 Corinthians 3, Paul uses that illustration of you and I as we spend time in the glory of God, focusing on who God is, it actually changes who we are and we reflect, we reflect, we reflect, no, we reflect that light to others and they, they glory in God through seeing us. And so we need to do that in our own lives with unveiled face, not hiding, but we behold the glory of God in the mirror of God's word and we reflect that to others as we're translated into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so at that way, we let the light shine. You and I take the veil off and let the glory of Jesus shine through us. And that's what this is all about as we look at all of these aspects of our character or quality of life that falls short of the glory of God. The Lord pinpoints this and this and this. And as we, we are open about that in the areas we need to change, God changes us through his spirit and we become a light, a greater light in around us. And so again, we say, let there be light. Let there be light, uh, which is great because our, our Christmas um, theme in a couple weeks will be, and there was light, uh, and there was light. But today, let there be light. Uh, so as we look at the, the x-ray of light, the MRI as it were, and as we sit under this searching light of Scripture, we do so asking the Lord to change us, asking Him by His Spirit that Christ would be formed in us. Okay, All right, so I'm going to just skip right over to where we are in the text. Uh, we have the 21 attributes of night that need to be changed as we mirror Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And we've seen these three main uh, phrases in purple there that kind of in grammar highlight or kind of the pegs on which all of these actions hang. Being filled with awe, 
full of, and then they are. And so it becomes characteristic of the nature of the world that denies God and is depraved in that sense. Uh, It has gone morally bankrupt and the compass is broken. And so this is what the world is filled with. It's part of the night that we do not want in our own lives. Okay. And so I have those for you, and we kind of have the handout. If you look in your worship guide, they're, they're, all of them are listed for you in order. And, uh, and I mentioned that last week, you have uh, on, the, on the top, right, this is your spiritual MRI. And I just encourage you to go back to this in the weeks to come. And if you want the PDF, let me know. But maybe once a month or once every other month, you go back to this and search your heart and say, Lord, where do I need to change? Right? You have the, the actual sin itself. The category of the sin, which is how we're dealing with it, right? The category, and then a little definition, and the italics words are the definition given by, uh, by a linguist. And then what, what we do is just kind of look at all the times that occurs in the Bible, and I just put a few points under each one uh, from doing a little word study uh, of that book in the New Testament, and not just with the linguist, okay? And so that helps you. It helps you see what that word is, and, and then you take that and you use it to, to search your heart, okay? Uh, so that's uh, what you have there. And, and what we're doing is we're doing it by category. We're going to kind of lump these together by main category and handle them in categories. Sins of corruption, we saw last week, just plain bad. Sins of covetousness, we saw last week, just plain greedy. Sins of conceit, we started on. We didn't finish that as we look at character trait number eight. But sins of conceit, just plain proud. And then sins of cruelty, just plain mean. And sins of company, we probably won't get to that this week. We'll save that for next week as we finish out the chapter. Sins of company, the the interrelationship challenges we have, just plain caustic. Caustic company. Um, Okay, so let's jump into this this week as we handle uh, our first... Uh, we uh, sins of conceit. Okay, so you you see that on the handout in front of you. We're skipping ahead, but last week we saw sins of corruption included unrighteousness, right? Not meeting the standard, wickedness, uh, God haters, inventors of evil. Not just evil, but they're inventing ways and apps and and technology and all different kinds of things to help us become evil. And we saw the good part of that is. Creating good, invent good ways and apps and technology for good things, right? Uh, And to be a lover of God. And so in each of these cases, we're going to see not just where the night is, but where the light is. And the gospel brings that to us, is the theme of Romans. Inventors of evil without understanding what we need to gain our understanding in the gospel and God. Uh, Sins of covetousness, uh, greedy, envious, right? There's the the idea of... uh, Coveted, wanting what, what others have. Uh, and then uh, not just avariceness, wanting more than you have, but envy, wanting what someone else has. All right, so today we're going to dive into the next category of conceit. Uh, just plain proud. Sins of conceit, just plain proud. And you look at, uh, let's see here, this is in verse 30. This is the first time where all three of these kind of bunch together. For the other ones, they're not in order. This, the same topic is all bunched together. So as we look at them, they come together right there. Verse 30, does anyone see them? Verse 30, slanderers, haters of God. And then the next three all together are all the same topic. Insolent, 
arrogant, boastful. Insolent, arrogant, boastful. So this is the character qualities of a world that is depraved, that is filled with. A company that is depraved, a family that is depraved, a heart that is depraved will be filled with these things. And as I looked at them, we're, we're going to see them in, in this way, though it's interrelated, they're synonyms, but you could say the first one has to do with the mind, uh, the thought. The next one has to do with the eye or the appearance. And the third one has to do with the mouth or speech. And so this verse 30, the first aspect of conceit, a sin of conceit, would be insolence. That young man is just insolent. We'll pull that one out. That's awesome, right? That's a good word. Maybe not one that we use very often. Uh, it's an insolent person. You see the definition. One who is uplifted with pride. Uh, and in that, they heap insulting language upon others and does them some shameful act or wrong. So the idea of insolence in your face. Pride in your face pride. Okay? The Greek word here, and you, you can see it there, is, it shows that, that we got our word hubris from this, right? The pride or self-conceit. As you look at all the times where it comes, not very often in the Bible, it's, it's like, I don't want to be a part of this. Because Proverbs 15.25 says, the Lord tears down the house of the insolent. Isaiah 2.12, all the proud and lifted up will be brought down. Paul describes his religious state before being cast down, and he uses this word. So it's not just secular, it can be very religiously proud. The Pharisee says, I am glad that I am not this, I am not that. This is Paul. Very proud, and he reacts in that pride and harms others. He uses it to persecute others. Saul at that point. And so we rejoice again in the gospel. What happens to Saul in his pride? He faces Jesus, and Jesus puts him on his face. And he humbles himself in the gospel. And he says, I have nothing. What do you want me to do, Lord? Whatever you want. That is the proud man humbled. And so, in each of these cases, we recognize, again, the light of the gospel is needed. What changes the proud heart? It's the humility of the gospel. It's bowing at the foot of the cross and saying, I have nothing. I can be nothing before God. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And you never leave the cross. You're every day at the cross. I always need Jesus. I always need his grace. I always need his grace. That is the heart of the gospel. That is the heart of the light that is shining. And so the opposite of pride is humility and those who are at the gospel all the time, right? At the cross at all the time. They're proud in mind. And then secondly, they uh, are arrogant. They're arrogant. And this comes with the eyes, right? You look at that next one is arrogance, a proud look, um, showing oneself above others, overtopping conspicuous above others preeminent, especially in a bad sense, with an overwhelming estimate of one's means or merits, despising others or even treating them with contempt. Haughty. That would be a definition of this. And so this is a combination of two words. 
that has to do with the first word is above, and the second one is appear, appear, or look. So there's this looking above, down on everyone else. The person appears estimated in their own uh, estimation. Uh, Their own estimation, they appear above others, looking down on them. Snooty, high-minded. This attitude of head in the clouds and, oh, I see you have that problem there, do you? Oh, yes, I've uh, long since left the problem of pride, right? That person that's looking down on their nose at everybody else. This is a society that has left the gospel. And it can be a very religious society. Many Christians are very proud in this way, looking down on everyone else around them. Both James and Peter warn us, this is what God resists. This has no taste at all in the gospel. God resists the proud as opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so every day we stand broken at the cross, ready to be used if God will use us, but we're not looking down at anyone else. Grace, like water, flows to the lowest part, yet always lifts us higher, Yancey said. That's a good quote. God's grace comes to us as we lower ourselves at the foot of the cross. Not the Pharisee that says, Oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like that person. (laughs) I tithe, I fast, I do all these good things. Look at me. No. That is high-eyed thinking too high of yourself, not willing to associate with that person because you're too good. That is proud. That is pride. And it will be brought low. They go from this, the category goes from the eyes, an appearance, the mind thinking high of themselves to the mouth. It doesn't stay there. It boasts and it becomes the Pharisee boasting or anyone. Just the religious person. This third one is boastful. The proud mouth. It says an empty pretender, a boaster. Um, This person that that, uh, is always talking about themselves and their achievements. Oh, man. We have many examples of this in our culture, in our lives, right? But it's interesting. 2 Timothy 3.2 describes this as that which would characterize the end of times. Several of these go into this, but those who are very proud and boasting of their, who they are, and not saying, hey, you know what, who I am, I'm just who I am by the grace of God. Often those who have the least to offer are the most loud in offering. I love that, right, which I can't remember which king it is that's, he's boasting and boasting, and then, oh, the, the other king sends a message back and he says, let not him who puts on his armor, boast as the one who takes it off. <laughs> That's good. All right. Let's see how you are after the game, uh, not just during the game, right? It's the people with the least game that do the most trash talk. Uh, let your actions speak for you. Let another man praise you and not your own lips. This is the pride of Satan. The sin of Satan is pride. And yet as we follow the footsteps of our great Savior, he humbled himself all the way down to the lower parts, namely the earth. 
And even in the earth, he was born in a humble oxen stall in this manger of straw that the animals would use for their dinner. And there he is in towels. We fast forward a little bit later and he's washing those filthy feet of the disciples as they're saying, I, will, I am not going to do this lowly task. I'm too great for that. And Jesus embarrasses them all as he takes the towel and washes their feet. And then later he dies in our place and he's clothed in rags once again. The king of glory wears a towel and washes the dirty feet. This is our Messiah. This is our Jesus. These are the feet, the footsteps that we follow. And as the Lord brings to light areas in our life, Lord, forgive me. We confess sin. We fall on our face and we follow him once again. I love Murray's little book. If anyone wants to borrow this, I think I have a few copies of this. Uh, Andrew Murray on, on humility. He says, man's chief care, his highest virtue, and his only happiness now and through all eternity is to present himself as an empty vessel in which God can dwell and manifest his power and his goodness. Right? Let the light shine in that little candle holder. Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is, from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue, the highest virtue of man. It is the root of every virtue. And he goes on and says, And so pride, or the loss of humility, is the root of every sin and evil. It stems from that, and yet our culture pushes it. Push yourself, push yourself, make yourself greater in front of others' eyes. It's our flesh, our, the world, and the devil, all three egocentric. Egocentric, push it on all of us. And yet we follow Christ, we, we have a countercultural light. right? So what is the opposite of pride? Again, it's humility. Let the light shine. Let the light shine in your humble response to those around you. How you're not promoting your own self, but Christ. May we follow his footsteps. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard that equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant, was made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself again to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so we follow Jesus out of the life of pride into a life of humility, serving others. Be great, serve. Be great, serve. And so the brothers and sisters around you serve. We serve one another. We don't look down on one another. We think of ways to serve and encourage one another. I don't know if this is a good time to bring up the fact that we're going to be making a cleaning crew. <laughs> I don't know. If you're interested in that, let me know. Or Babu is going to be leading that. Sins of cruelty. Sins of cruelty is our next main category. Sins of cruelty. Just plain mean. The world. Boy, isn't it rough out there? It can be tough. Nurseries can be mean. Elementary school can be mean. Junior high can be mean. High school can be mean. And then it doesn't go away. The corporate world can be mean. Church, this church will never be mean. We must never be mean. 
We must be there for one another, encouraging one another. And when you see any cruelty in one another, we say, hey, that was a little cruel. That was a little unkind. Look at the, the aspects of it. Number 11, verse 29, is evil, malignancy, malice, ill will, desire to injure. It's a normal word for bad, but as it's applied in this context, in the form of the word, it has reference to being causing bad to others. And so Jesus uses this in Matthew 6 where he warns us and says, don't worry about tomorrow, you have enough bad going on today. Worry about your bad stuff going on to your life today. But the, the word here is that that bad is, is, is someone coming. Sometimes that person always brings bad. We want to never be a person who brings bad to others. They're just bad news. Someone who's trying to make circumstances bad for others. Cruelty for others. They harm. There's no conscience as they cause harm to others. It's a dangerous part of society to be a part of. And you know, maybe family members or, or co-workers or, or people in your life, that you're like, that's, that's them to a T. Don't let that rub off. They, they cause harm to others with no conscience, no feeling of remorse. There's, there's no empathy there at all. And so the opposite of this would be what? Let there be light. And so instead of causing trouble and harm for others, what do we do? Help, yeah. Help and kindness and lifting up and causing good. Our Lord is gentle and kind. Gentleness and kindness. Jesus hates our sin. God hates our sin. Instead of throwing us into a Christless eternity, He comes and takes all of our sin upon Himself. The handwriting of ordinances against us and kindly and mercifully pairs the penalty for all of that. And so the gospel itself shows us this mercy once again. And if he's given us all that mercy, how could I be cruel to others around me? The bad of society drops lower still. Number 12, there's murders, cruelty. The cruelty in not just being mean to others, but the Ten, the Ten Commandments actually taking their life, that which cannot be given back. Cruelty to the farthest extent, what a horrible thing. And yet our society, little by little, is just enamored with this and its games and its entertainment. Accepting it in the womb, which should be the safest place. The heartbreak of society is extinguished by allowing, in that sense, murder. And yet, before we go too far down that road, what does Jesus say? Matthew 5, you've heard the ancients say, whoever commits murder is liable to the court. Okay, yeah, well, preach hard on that one. But I say, every one of you who's angry with his brother is guilty before the court. And so this murder of the heart, Jesus says, he internalizes these sins and says, listen, just your outburst of anger there, if it wasn't for the glory of God, if it was for yourself, for selfish means there's hatred there. And he puts it in the same category. Let there be light. Instead of murder, there's giving life. Instead of hatred, there's giving love, sharing love toward one another. Number 13, malice, cruelty. There's two words here. One would be bad or depraved, and the other would be character or heart. It's just a bad heart, bad character. This is the bad apple that ruins the bunch. Bad character, the cruelness, it's used to describe the cruelness of Haman against Mordecai and Esther. 
Right? They're just downright cruel to others. And, and everything's going okay, and that person comes in, and all of a sudden there's this spiteful and this mean back and forth. Their conscience is gone. They say mean, thing, mean things and aren't feel bad about it at all. They do cruel things and don't think bad about it at all. They'll take from you, they'll harm you, they'll berate you, they'll destroy you, and they, their conscience is gone about that kind of thing. Bad heart, bad character, and I think it stems from this other one, this next one. They're unmerciful. Without mercy, merciless. Giving mercy is, is not stringent. It's giving the person the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's saying, you know what, you deserve this, but I'm going to be easy on you. It's not being judgmental. It's showing compassion. It's not being cruel. It's giving the person the, the second chance, the third chance, as the Lord does with us every second of every day. A cruel person doesn't do that. A society that's fulfilled with this no longer does that. It's judgmental. It's cruel. It doesn't look with pity because it doesn't feel pity. It feels no compassion, no empathy for others. It extracts perfect strictness. If you don't follow this line, you are going to feel my wrath. And the person begs and pleads, Have mercy on me and I will pay you all. And it says, No! Even though in the gospel we've been forgiven a billion times more than that. How dare we not show mercy to our brother or sister or someone around us? No, the empathy pours out of the heart that knows the gospel and lives in light of the gospel. I've been given so much mercy. How could I be strict with this person in that way? I have empathy with them and I want to help them out of that. No, we have mercy and compassion this is the heart that is changed because we're following a God of mercy and love and grace. Does your heart strive to show exactness in paying someone back exactly what they deserve or extending mercy and loving kindness? Do you cut them off once again because they cut you off? Or do you show mercy and grace? Do you even feel that anymore? It's a feeling, merciful, Loving kindness from a heart of mercy. Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Psalm 145.8. Verse 9, His mercies are over all His works. And then Isaiah 55 talks about this in the gospel mercies that He offers to us as He did to David. Look at David's life. He didn't deserve that at all. He's just as bad as our politicians. And God extended covenant mercy to that man. Amazing mercy. He says, that's the mercy I extend to you. So that person doesn't deserve it from me. You know what they did, Tim? Okay, I realize that. But we still continue to extend mercy. Mercy upon mercy. Grace upon grace. Because Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for those are the ones who will receive mercy. You don't extend mercy, you will reap what you sow. You will not receive mercy. As Spurgeon put it, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water, deprive the sun of its light, or make space too narrow than to diminish the great mercy of our God. One more category real quick here will be done. Sins of communication, just plain nasty. And, and often we use that word nasty with, with persons' communication, but they are just nasty with me. 
Ay, 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 that hurt. Mean with the mouth. We looked at this in detail from James last Sunday, right? The mouth is a fire so powerful, so boastful. And you look in this category as well, we find some, some sins of the mouth. The first one there, verse 29, is deceit. Uh, it's actually the word lure or snare. Some people's, their words, what they say to you, they're just, it's just a snare. They're totally lying to you to leave a trap. And so that would be one sin of communication. You kind of put that boastful one under the sins of communication as well. The word deceit here is the way lure, right? There's this bait that's set aside for the fish to come along and bite. And oh, wow, that hurt. That's not what that was for. And so they leave you words, leave you words, and whoa, ouch, that hurt. I wasn't expecting that. Deceit, not just in what you say, but the way you act, right? Leaving some deception there to lead someone along. Jesus saw Nathaniel and said, there's someone who there's no deceit. What you see is what you get. This is used to refer to our Lord. He was without sin and there was no deceit in him. Isn't that interesting? Two phrases in 1 Peter to describe our Lord Jesus. There, there was no sin and there was no, none of this, no baiting and switching. No deceit. What you see is what you get. And so we need to speak truthfully. So Proverbs 21, 28, a false witness speaks lies, but he who listens to the truth will speak, will live forever. Will speak forever. Ephesians 4 encourages us to speak the truth in love. That would be the opposite of this. Instead of lying, we're going to speak the truth in a loving manner, gracious with one another, speaking the truth. We'll go into all of these, but, but the definition here would be intentionally communicating deception with malice. Right? If you're taking notes, that's a good definition of deceiving someone, lying to someone, intentionally communicating deception with malice. It's intentional. It's not like, oh man, I think I said I graduated in 2024, but thinking back, you know, it was 2023 or, you know, or, or something like that. You're just like, I wasn't trying to deceive someone. That's not lying. But if you say, you know what, I forgot, I, I said I graduated from Harvard, but I forgot I didn't graduate from sixth grade. Wait, now that's deception. You, you didn't just forget that one. That was intentional. Um, it's interesting on LinkedIn how many people graduated from Harvard. <laughs> well, 50 billion people. How did that happen? Intentionally communicating. Communicating is actually expressing that view, and that may be through words, it may be through text, it may be through even nonverbal communication. Often you say more with what you do than what you say. Communicating deception, you're causing someone to misbelieve something about you. So it's not just an outright lie, it's exaggeration. It's something or not saying something so that it leads someone astray. And it's with malice, right? It's, it's also with malice, right? So there may be some things that I'm not going to tell you because it's a surprise. It's not that I'm withholding that to be mean. I'm withholding that because it's a surprise birthday party for you. A lot of examples we give for all these, but we'll just keep moving here. It's, it's selfishly intended, like the weather channel that says, we want to make that person leave without an umbrella just so that they get rained on. No, they don't do that. Um, but when we do withhold information or give information that is selfish, boy, that, that helps me along. That's, that's this. 
What's the opposite? Let there be light, reflecting the character of God who is impossible for him to lie, Hebrews 6.18. Titus 1.2, hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, he always speaks the truth. He is faithful and true to his promises. Let there be light. Let your words stand. What you say, let it stand. Be faithful. Gossips, verse 29. Well, he's beating us up here, okay? Just sit still. Let the light search. Okay, I'm going through a lot of these. We could actually give a week on each one, but, but we're not. So let's just keep going through them. Uh, this is an interesting one. You see this? Uh, it's, you see it there. It's actually uh, probably an onomatopoeia, meaning it's uh, the, what you say in the original. It's, I'll try it. Sithrustase. You can hear it. You know, so, like, there's this, this little whispering over there. That's the idea by a, whis- a whisperer, a talebearer, but the idea of in secret. So they're not just slandering you. There's, hey, hey, come, shh, come here, come here. Let me, did you hear this? Did you hear about Pastor Tim? Did you hear about Tim? Did you hear this about King Prince Edwards or whatever they are? Did you? interesting let's pray about that (laughs) right passing along bad information from this person to that person and the problem is when it happens in a fallen society and you know this we could do the the example goes from this person this person this person all of a sudden holy cow that was way bigger than it started because of the whispering the whispering grows there's no putting it back in the bottle once you spread it Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, he deals with the sins of the tongue, and this is one of them. He says, we think about sins of the tongue, let's begin with the one most people think of first gossip. The spreading of unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information is true. Gossip is often based on rumor, which makes the sin even worse. Indulging in gossip seems to feed our sinful ego, especially when the information we're passing along is negative. It makes us feel self-righteous by comparison. I want to share you with this for our prayers. If we know something negative about someone, we should pray about it ourselves, but not spread it around the bad news. It's good advice. Titus says it this way. He says, older women likewise be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. Teaching what is good. Speak what's good about others. Let that spread. Let the gospel be, let me tell you something. Jesus, did you know Jesus died for that sin? He loves you. That's what we share. The second one's next. Uh, the third one's similar. Slanderer, defamer, evil speaker. Someone who speaks against, literally speaks against. They're not encouraging others, not lifting up others. They're critical. Bridges speaks about this, about someone, father critical of his daughter, She gradually developed into a person who could not do anything right. At least one would think as much as her dad berated her. But the more he criticized her posture, the more she slumped, the more he pointed out her lack of eye contact, the more her eyes became fixed and downgazed. It's repeated putting her down for her own good had one result. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. She felt her father's pattern of criticisms as rejection. And she came to see herself as a reject. 
As an adult, her number one priority became to seek out those who would provide her acceptance, anyone who could provide her acceptance, and her friends soon learned how to take advantage of her and her need to be accepted. On his deathbed, he realized his sinful, sinful treatment of his daughter, but it was too late. At that point, she had become an addict to cocaine and immorality. Sad story of a father's rejection. Critical, critical, critical. Everything is critical. Tearing down, tearing down, tearing down, tearing down. What's the opposite? Let there be light. Let me say, if you were raised in that kind of environment, you can be different. Let there be light. Build up with your speech. Build up that person. There's always a reason to be thankful for someone, to encourage someone. A critical tearing down tongue is not healthy. There may be things that you can add to help them. Right? Yes, that's the spirit speaking the truth in love. That's not what this is talking about. This is a critical spirit that is always focusing on the negative of others rather than building others up. Let's keep building up. Dr. Gill was a, a great expositor, theologian. He was a predecessor to Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. It said, he tells this story, that there was a loose-tongued lady in his parish uh, that was finding, the, finding fault with the excessive length of his tie. Well, well, said the doctor, what, should you, what do you think is the right length? You know, take it, make it as long as you want. Well, she expressed her delight. She was sure that her dear pastor would grant her request, and she brought some scissors with her and started trimming at once. Snip, snip, the thing was done. Now, said the doctor, my good sister, you must do me a good turn also. Oh, I will do that, doctor. What can it be? You have something about you which is a deal too long. It causes me no end of trouble. And I should like to see it shorter. Oh, what is it? I won't hesitate. Here, pass the scissors to me and pull, stick out your tongue. <laughs> As Virgin says, we have often pictured him sitting in his old chair, uh, quietly rebuking the gossip. Right, let our light shine. Let our light shine. Let our light shine in... Resisting corruption, resisting covetousness, resisting conceit, resisting cruelty, evil communication. Let the light shine. It's God's light. Your personality may be more tempted one of these sins than the other. But we know we're living in a culture that's filled with it. So the culture is going to push you into this mold saying, this is the way you're to live. Right? That reality TV is going to just be... It's almost broadcasting everything, all of these 21s. And you're going to have to sit there and say, Lord Jesus, may your image be formed in me as a merciful, gracious person who preaches the gospel in my life and my words. Let the light shine. Moody told this true story about um, a ship that's coming in. I think it was coming to Cleveland Harbor. Um, and sees the lighthouse and starts talking. Uh, the captain's talking to the pilot and says, um, he sees a light, is that Cleveland Harbor? Uh, 
we need the lower lights to guide us into the levee, right? And so there's lower lights on either side that help show, point the way to that one light in the middle. He says, they must have gone out, sir. Can you make it into the harbor without these lower lights? And the pilot's reply is, we must try or we will perish. With a strong hand and a brave heart, the pilot turned the ship's wheel toward the harbor, but the ship missed the channel, crashed the rocks, and sank 200 losing their lives. And Moody applied it this way, Brethren, the Master will take care of the great lighthouse of salvation, but it's our job to be bright lights on the side, the lower lights, burning to guide men safely to him. Let us not let our lights go out. Live a life that is like Christ, to draw them to the, the great light of the world. And so, Philip Bliss uh, took that story and wrote this song that you probably know, Brightly Beams Our Father's Mercy, Our Father's Mercy from His Lighthouse Evermore. But to us, He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Dark the night of sin has settled, and we see that all around us. The night is there, the sin is there. Loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing. They need you. They're looking for the lights along the shore. And so trim your feeble lamp, my brother, my sister. Some poor seaman tempest-tossed, trying now to reach the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman you may rescue, you may save. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's let the Lord work in our heart. I do feel like I need to say this in closing. If perhaps you have never once come to the gospel in a saving way, believing that Jesus is the only way, you've never recognized, well, my, I am very sinful. All of those things are sins that I have committed. And one of them, one sin is the breaking of all the laws. And so we all desperately need the gospel. We need Jesus' forgiveness. And so I would encourage you, this is not becoming a Baptist. It's not becoming a Protestant. It is not becoming religious at all. It's coming to Jesus, God's only Son, through the proclamation of His truth and saying, I believe. I believe that you died for my sin. Please take away all my badness. Please take away the penalty for all my badness and make me a new creature. Would you cry out in faith, believing? Because we see that story of the self-righteous Pharisee that looked down on the publican and sinner. But that poor sinner just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me your mercy. And he went home justified. You can go home justified, declared right with God today, not because you joined a church, but because you made commitment to Jesus with your heart and you asked him for salvation of your soul. Would you do that in the closing moments of this time, in this quiet? I'll be standing in the back, be happy to um, pray with you if you would like. Let's all do business with the Lord.